see, and she's like, fuck me. No, man. I'm not fucking with Honestly, you. Honestly, Mike, I'm telling you, your money. You're so fucking money. All right, and I want you to go over to that girl, and I want you to get those digits. Your money. Come here a second. Listen to me. Now, look it. When you go up to talk to her, man, I don't want you to be the guy in the PG-13 movie. Everyone's really hoping makes it happen. I want you to be like the guy in the rated R movie, you know? The guy you're not sure whether or not you like yet. You're not sure where he's coming from, okay? You're a bad man. You're a bad man. You're a bad man. Cinema 9 Podcast with your host, Michael Govier, and featuring Travis Roy and Eric Brandstrom. Coming to a speaker near you right now. Hey, guess who it is, everybody? It's your favorite podcast you've never heard before. I'm Michael Govier. I'm here with Travis Roy and Eric Branstrom, and this is the Cinema 9 Podcast. Welcome to our show. It's about movies, a slice of life, and, you know, mostly about movies. <laughs> so I'm Michael Goviate. Let's introduce our wonderful co-host. We're all a part of this equally. It's all about democracy. Travis Roy, how you doing? Hey, good. How are you doing today, Michael? Oh, thanks. That's very nice. You're a sweet man. I appreciate that. Um, I guess I should do like a formal introduction of myself. Sure. Um, I am Travis Roy. I am in Philadelphia. I uh, am a, uh, I'm a PhD candidate in American history with a focus on environmental and cultural history. And I went to film school long enough to learn that I did not want to make movies. <laughs> wow. Uh, what's your favorite movie this week? Uh, I'm going to save it for my uh, suggestion at the end if we, if oh. we, if we have, have time to get around to it. But, uh, okay. but I do what have one best, mind. What was the best movie you saw last year? Best movie I saw last year? Um, I will say that my favorite movie from last year at this point will be Waves. Oh, yeah. I got to watch that. That's on my list. Okay. <laughs> Man, it's really powerful. Wow. That's a yeah. ringing endorsement, folks. All right. It's beautiful. It's vis visually beautiful. Ooh. Okay, then there's Eric E. Albert Branstrom. Eric, how's it going, buddy? What's cooking? Hi, Mike and Travis. I'm so happy to be on the Cinema 9 podcast. And uh, we're going to have a lot of fun. We're going to talk about movies, actors, directors, editors, composers, uh, all, all things filmmaking. Talk about some of your favorite movies. And uh, we're going to have a blast. I'm really excited. Are you going to cry on the podcast? I have been, I'm very emotional. I get really nostalgic and sentimental. So... If I cry, I won't be embarrassed. I'll, I'll look forward to it. <laughs> no shame. There should be no shame. What about you, Eric? What was the best film, in your opinion, of 2019? Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was the best film I saw. In terms of my personal favorite, I think Joker is one I'll watch more times. Uh, but uh, I really enjoy those two films, among others. So, yeah. Wow. Joker? Is yeah, rewatchable? Yeah. Well, I love the Batman universe. And uh, I just... I. I I really like the way they made that film. I'll be returning to it many times. Okay. Wow. Well, I think we we had a secret podcast. It was kind of a 
maybe an impetus for this show. We talked about <laughs> the Joker at our little secret gathering called The Feast. We did a podcast about the Joker, which was actually pretty good, but the audio was terrible, so we'll never be able to share it with all of you. Maybe but not that. Yeah, well, we'll see. I, I find <laughs> that it was not that enjoyable as a rewatchable film. I watched it again, but, we'll, you know, that is not what this show is about. I just find that interesting. Interesting choice, Eric Branstrom. So uh, we are the Cinema 9 Podcast. Uh, Eric, why are we called the Cinema 9 Podcast? Well, remember, like, uh, when you were, like, a kid and, like, there's, like, the local movie theater, like, in your neighborhood? It was always, like, you know, if it was, like, a one-screen theater, it was just, like, you know, the movie theater. Like, like Howell Movie Theater, where we grew up. Remember? Uh, but, like, sometimes you'd have, like, a multiplex, but they'd have no more than, like, six to nine films. And I always used to remember, like, Cinema 9, you know, Brighton Cinema 9. And uh, I thought that was a nice, pleasing name. So that's what we're going to be called. And we're going to be talking a lot of, about, like, old movies, movies we grew up with. So I thought that uh, paired pretty nicely. Travis, do you remember the – this is tough. I don't know. Do you remember the first film you saw at the Brighton Cinema 9? Can you recall? Great question. At the Brighton Cinema 9. Um. You can think about it if you want, because I know I remember what I saw. I don't. Yeah, I don't too. remember the first. I mean, I remember the earliest one I, I remember off the top of my head seeing was Independence Day, and someone ruined it coming out of the theater. Like I was in line, and they like said the ending as I, as I was standing there. Um, <laughs> what a bummer <laughs> for you, dude! But I but I know that even then that that was like not the by far not the first time I was there. I know I saw Spawn, the movie there too. So we're, we're talking like 93. Maybe I'm not really, I can't remember what year exactly open though. Wow. Eric, what about you? Uh, Ernest Saves Christmas, 1987. <laughs> uh, right when I moved to Brighton from Livonia, Michigan. Ernest Saves Christmas. Wow. What a, that's, how long, I never, that's how long that theater was there? Yeah. Oh, I, yeah. My first uh, viewing was when I moved to Brighton in 1990. We saw Arachnophobia. John Goodman oh, and Jeff Daniels. Wow. And we were like 10 of us. Ten, it was a family uh, outing. It was, uh, I don't like that movie. It, it makes me <laughs> uncomfortable, but we saw it. I was 10 years old. So, yeah. Uh, we are, by the way, as we just mentioned, the Cinema 9 podcast. So you can find us on all your favorite social media spots, right? Like Twitter and Facebook. And uh, we have an email. We would love, and I stress this, guys, it, it does matter. If we can have some kind of participation from the audience, with emails, talking about their favorite films, comments on films we've never seen even. We would love to get that, wouldn't we? Yes. We'd love to implement like a, yeah, we could do like a mailbag at the end of the episode and address your viewer feedback and questions. That was so funny. I'm going to direct my questions to individuals instead of just throwing things out there. Hey, everybody speak at once. Three, two, one, go. (laughs) um, I think that a show is only as good as the people who are engaged in it so we would really love feedback i know it's our first episode so it's early but we would love to get you to send information so hook us up uh, cinema nine pod that's the number nine cinema nine pod at protonmail.com is our email and then you can find cinema nine on all the standard social media trash sites like twitter facebook and do we oh we don't have an instagram yet do we no no we're not very attractive we'll looking, so I don't know if we really care about photos. But we can, we can put photos, photos of other people. Movies are a visual medium, so we probably should have an Instagram. We'll get on that. All right. So let's kick it off then. Let's get into the show. Uh, we have several ideas. We're floating around for a format. We may not stick to one format, but we do have several concepts and segments we're going to probably be offering. So the first one in this episode is great performances in terrible films now because a film is terrible like showgirls doesn't mean that kyle mclaughlin was really good in it now that's not a real example i'm just giving you an example of a bad movie with maybe your opinion on a good but uh let's start off with you travis do you have a great performance in a terrible oh, film? i was hoping you'd start with eric but that's okay because I, I, oh, I, I, I do have that's okay i do have one I do have one readily in mind. The reason I thought it might be better to start with Eric, though, is because, like, I'm already breaking the rules. Because um, I, like, I, there's not a lot of terrible movies, I don't think, personally. Call me indiscriminating. Those movies, I think, are, like, not as good as others. But it's really rare. I mean, it has to be, like, happening bad. It has to be, like, the pest bad. Like it takes, You like, and Eric, and you two are very Donald. different. 
Yeah, you guys huh? have a very different philosophy on what movies are, like if they're bad or good. Or if you're, Eric is very much a critic, and you seem to be more of like a – you just love film. You love, I love movies. I love movies. So instead of coming at, uh, with, a, with a great performance and a terrible film, I have a great performance that, trans, that transcends the film that it's in, uh, and that is Christina Applegate in Anchorman. Um, I've always liked Christina Applegate. But like she's on a completely different level than everybody else in that movie. And again, it's not a terrible movie. I, I love Anchorman; it's hilarious. But like, for all the comedy, goofy wildness is going on, there's like this really grounded, emotional, like intimate performance that's coming out of uh, out of Christina Applegate this whole time. Like sometimes when I'm watching the movie, I'm like, "What movie are you even in?" Because you're fucking like almost a, like you're like doing like Academy Award level shit practically here. And for years, I was like give this woman a great vehicle because she has like such good chops and just wasn't really getting to work. And then that, um, oh, what's that new show that she's on on Netflix? I can't think of the name of it. Dead, uh, Dying, Dead, Shit. I watched it. It's really good. Um, at any rate, it's a great show. And, too many uh, shows. There's too many yeah, shows. Too much <laughs> in my brain. Um, but it's, a, it's her newest show. It's on, dead, on Netflix. I, the word dead is somewhere in the title. And it's, and it's really, really good. Nice dramatic comedy and good opportunity for her. Wow. Eric, what do you think of that? What's your response to that? I've always loved Christina Applegate. She won an uh, Emmy for her supporting turn on Friends. And I, I, the, the, what I like about her is she does what all the great comedians do. She treats the comedy as if it were drama. So she's totally invested in yeah. the character. She's not acting goofy. She's selling it with her, with her chop. So, yeah, I've always been a fan. Never really stopped during Anchorman to think about, you know, her like performance but uh <laughs> i absolutely will take more notice next time because she's a team player yeah you made a really good point there about um her dramatic like because that her performance makes me think of 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 uh leslie nielsen and airplane like where it's just like like we're very true like good dramatic actor like given more than is necessary to be <laughs> <laughs> wow christina applegate what about she was amazing in Married with Children. I mean, she transcended TV on that show, right? I, I, I think that she's, uh, I, th I always thought that she was like a diamond in the rough that just needed like the right material. And uh, for the this show, for the life of me, I can't remember the name of. Um, <laughs> that's, I, I do recommend it, despite the fact that it's uh, not coming to me. Yeah, it's funny she started on such a trash TV show, which was on for like 11 years. I mean, say what you will, Married with Children was on a long time. And there are a lot of people that like that show. And she was initially treated as like a bimbo type but really she was playing the role quite well i know it sounds crazy to think about but she did a good job on that show because that's not who she really is as far as i don't know her personally i've never had dinner with christina but i thought I'd that like was her. i would <laughs> i would like to as well okay christina applegate transcends anchorman that is man i gotta think about that one that is really something i was not expecting very cool travis Eye opener. Uh, what about you, Eric? Who <laughs> so good in something so bad? I've got three picks. Um, All right. The first one is uh, a movie I just saw like two years ago, and it, it's one of those that I always just missed. And then I finally sat down and watched it on Netflix. Footloose. <laughs> Have you guys seen this movie? <laughs> I've actually well, never kidding. sat through Footloose. I'm not kidding. This That's movie is so dumb. <laughs> but. Um, John Lithgow is so good in it. <laughs> wow. It's like the pissed off dad and like a uh, local like preacher who uh, is out to get these teenagers for dancing. Uh, I, I, I can't stress it highly enough. This plot is so dumb. But uh, John Lithgow, the always reliable character actor, is, is so good and powerful in it. And especially in his last speech in the church, I had goosebumps. And we're talking about Footloose here. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's a wow that's a great call uh, john lithgow is always good in most anything I, I never watched third rock from the sun but i'm sure oh, he so was good. hamming it up yeah it's so good wow uh, watch yeah that. also the brian de palma film I, if you haven't seen it recently watch it again because it's not very good raising cane it's not really that good but john yeah. lithgow is so awesome in it yeah so yeah i think you know he plays it under the radar and uh uh, but it's it, it's interesting. Uh, my is next one is. My next one is the 2003 film Hulk by Ang Lee. Oh, uh, good. Not not a really good film. No. Uh, 
Uh, when, it, mm. when it's all said and done, it's, it's just not that good. Uh, mm. But the legendary actor Nick Nolte is so awesome in it. Mm. Remember? Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> I do. He was good at it. He was good at it. Another watch, because uh, especially in that last scene, like when they got the Hulk all chained up and like uh, Nick Nolte's trying to piss them all off, they're getting into the father-son stuff. It's Oscar caliber acting in a really shitty movie from 2003. Um, and then finally, um, Bad Lieutenant, Port of Call, New Orleans. <laughs> Horrible film, but Nicolas Cage is so awesome in it. Uh, that's it. That's it. <laughs> All right. Wow. Those are some quality choices. Uh, <laughs> Can you do the again? Yeah, <laughs> I mean John Lithgow is always a great actor, so like that, I think that makes sense. And uh, Nick Nolte is not always a great actor, but he's capable of doing really good stuff. Wow, yeah, I think he's a good actor. I wouldn't put him on the same level as Lithgow or Applegate, personally. Um, wow. Yeah, I went there. I said it. I mean, he's kind of one note. Wow. Mm. Is there Affliction? A, is there a lot of Affliction? Is the first thing that comes to my head as being the best work of his career, but like. Um, I mean, think about it. Like, is there a lot of variety? I mean, I'm not saying he's bad, but like, usually he's pretty much just playing Nick Nolte, you know? Watch him in uh, the, the Prince of Tides, either soulful oh. and tender. And, oh, that's 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 it's good. Again, like he's a good actor. I just I just wouldn't put him as I don't think it's the versatility or the depth of of Lithgow or Applegate for that matter. Okay. What was the, do you guys remember? There was a Jimmy Brooks movie in like the mid '90s that he was in with like Jimmy. this. Yeah, Jimmy Brooks. We're Old close. Jimmy. <laughs> I, I can't remember the name of it right now it's escaping me but he was actually really good in that he plays like this guy who's the father of this little daughter he's a single dad and i thought he played curly it quite suit. well <laughs> it does sound like curly <laughs> suit, doesn't trouble. it i love trouble jesus 48 hours another trouble, 48 right? hours was that what it was no that's not what it is but uh yeah, it was I'm something yeah it's a deep cut but anyways he he really hit me and that was back in the 90s i haven't seen that movie in about 20 years that's actually not a bad, might not does be it hold a bad up? suggestion. I'd have to know. Uh, yeah, I'd have to watch that again to find out if it does hold up. I'll look into that. But point being is Nick Nolte, I think, is a great actor. Thin Red Line, uh, he's unbelievable in that movie. I mean, uh, unbelievable. I have spoken. A, <laughs> <laughs> I have spoken. He's really good as I have spoken. That's great. <laughs> um, wow. These are interesting I mean, I, choices. I had, I had one more. It's not like a bad movie. It's just... It's not as good as it should have been. Uh, flawless. Because Philip Seymour Hoffman is so amazing Dude. in it. But I don't yeah. think the movie's that good. Both of, both of him and De Niro are both really yeah. good in that movie. Yeah. The problem is the plot. And Chris Bauer is in there. He does really, mm -hmm. really well, too. Like, there's good actors in that movie. The problem is it's Joel Schumacher, I think. is. I, mean, I don't Ooh. think he's, I never, he's ever been a particularly uh, capable filmmaker, in my opinion. Uh -oh. um, Lost yeah. Boys? That was a hey, he's got his moments. Don't get me wrong. Flatliners? Um, <laughs> falling know, down? It's been a long time. Falling down, yeah. See, that's the anomaly. That's one that we got to see if it holds up. And oh, that's yeah, just, uh, I don't know if it's the script or the direction or what, but just kind of a lost opportunity with that type of talent involved. I found the movie, by the way. It's called I'll Do Anything. It's written and directed by, I know, it's written and directed by James L. Brooks. It's like a full-on film. completely. I, I saw it. You've seen yeah. it? Yeah. I okay. remember seeing it back in the day. It's been a while. Yeah, it's got him and this, like, no-name uh, lead female uh, actress who I don't know. She has a face. You'd be like, oh, I recognize her, but. She I has a face. Remember. She has. <laughs> that sounds terrible. Um, anyways, yeah, he's good in that movie, but that wasn't going to be my choice, so. I'll do anything. Wow. Interesting choice. I love this showdown. This is quite a battle. I, I got to say, if I have to choose, and this is going to sound really difficult to defend, my choice is, as I told you, <laughs> it's Willem Dafoe, <laughs> Willem Dafoe in Body of Evidence. Body of oh Evidence is horrendous. It's so bad. Body of Evidence is a <laughs> god-awful film. I watched it. I actually sat and watched it last week because I wanted to make sure that I could speak freely and accurately Jesus. about this film it's really back bad. up this outrageous uh, uh advisement he's just so good at it he's like he's being a real actor playing thoughtful role 
because he's a lawyer trying to defend his client, but take no shit. He's doing that well. He's, but he's just got to sit in this basic instinct. It's trying to match basic instinct because it came out in 93, right after basic instinct came out. It's obviously, hey, we want to have a basic instinct because it was popular, but it's no basic instinct at all. All it is is the sex and somebody who might be killing someone. A white woman is accused of murder. Did she do it? The guy was rich. It's just so lame. <laughs> but he's really acting in it. He's, he's struggling mm. with the inner turmoil of, is this woman innocent or guilty? He loves his wife. He loves his kid. <laughs> he's also really attracted to this woman. He's very <laughs> sultry. And he's doing a good job. It sounds insane. I mean, I mean, the look on his face when he's getting that hot wax poured on his nipples is... Yeah. Uh, it's authentic. <laughs> There's no justifying this, but I, I'm sure I will stand alone. And I'm happy to stand alone on this. But we all agree Willem Dafoe is a terrific actor. There's no, I mean, no argument about that, right? I'm no so argument. glad he's getting his, uh, his, well, his, what do you call it? His accolades. Because every year, the past three years, The Florida Project, At Eternity's Gate, where he plays Vincent Van Gogh, is a fucking awesome movie on HBO right now, which is streaming free because of the, uh, what we're going through in the world. So absolutely see that. It flew under the radar a couple years ago. Then, of course, Lighthouse. Lighthouse. Oof. Yeah. Uh, never seen Body of Evidence, so I got no comment. It's, uh, it's available on the current playlist we're sharing, so if you want to try to watch it, it's there. I'm just going to throw that out there, Travis. I don't, I don't know if I want to try and watch movies. <laughs> you don't want to I got a lot of time, but like lately, <laughs> suddenly. I'm saying, everybody <laughs> who's listening up. to this, uh, your, your palate is wide open right now, so you could watch Body of Evidence and find a redeeming quality, a real showdown in the courtroom between Joe Montana and Willem Dafoe. It's powerful. You know what? I'm, I'm going to bring that up to my wife, Angie, after dinner. You know, Are you up for body of evidence this evening? Uh... <laughs> okay, I know. It's, it's absurd. Um, anybody else? Anybody else thinking of a movie that's terrible? But, man, somebody just really stood out. That You, you want to give this person credit for doing a hell of a job in just a trash, a train wreck, a disaster. Is there anything else? Send us an email. We would love to hear it. We are Cinema 9 Podcast. So it's Cinema 9, the number 9, at ProtonMail.com. Cinema 9 Pod. All right, so let's move into our next category, gentlemen. We are going to talk about Does It Hold Up? Now, Does It Hold Up? There's so many films you could choose from. So we're just going to pick one that we all watched that we are familiar with recently. We feel like we can talk about it with some depth. It's True Romance, 1993. Do you know who I am, Mr. Wally? I give up. Who are you? The Antichrist. You got me in a vendetta kind of mood. You tell the angels in heaven you never seen evil so singularly personified as you did in the face of the man who killed you. My name is Vincent Cocotti. I work as counsel for Mr. Blue Lou Boyle, the man your son stole from. I hear you were once a cop, so I can assume you've heard of us before. Am I correct? I've heard of Blue Lou Boyle. I'm glad. Hopefully, that will clear up the half full of shit on my question you've been asking yourself. We're going to have a little Q&A. And at the risk of sounding redundant, please, Make your answers genuine. You want to Chesterfield? No. I have a son, my own, about your boy's age. I can imagine how painful this must be for you. But Clarence and a bitch whore girlfriend of his brought this all on themselves. I implore you not to go down that road with them. You can always take comfort in the fact you never had a choice. Look, I'd like to help you if I could, but I haven't seen Clarence. You see that? And <laughs> smarts, doesn't it? They're slammed in the nose. Fucks you all up. Get that pain shooting through your brain, your eyes fill up with water. That ain't any kind of fun. But what I have to offer you, that's as good as it's gonna get. And it won't ever get that good again. We talked to your neighbors. They saw a Cadillac. Purple Cadillac. Clarence's purple Cadillac parked in front of your trailer yesterday. Mr. Wally, 
You seen your son? I seen him. I can't be sure of how much of what he told you, so in the chance you're in the dark about some of this, let me shed some light. That whore your boy hangs around with, a pimp, is an associate of mine. I mean, just pimping and other affairs. He works for me in a courier capacity. Well, apparently. A dirty little whore found out I'm going to do some business because your son, the cowboy, and his flame, came in the room blazing and didn't stop till they were pretty sure everybody was dead. What are you talking about? I'm talking about a massacre. They snatched my narcotics. I hightailed it out of there. Would have got away with it, but your son, fuckhead that he is, left his driver's license in a dead guy's hand. <laughs> you know, I don't believe you. That's of minor importance. What is of major fucking importance is that I believe you. Where did they go? On their honeymoon. Getting angry, asking the same question a second time. Quentin Tarantino written, Tony Scott directed. Mm. First off, before we get into does it hold up, opening salvo, do we, let's start with you, Eric. Do you think True Romance is a great film? No, I think it's a really good movie that's a lot of fun. I never really, I was never blown away with it uh, back in the early 90s, but the recent viewing was my favorite, my best viewing yet for me. So I'm, I'm officially a fan. So I might, I might buy it on Blu-ray. All right. Um, I would say that it is a really good movie. I would not say it's a great movie, but I do think it is, um, it's an important movie in a way because I think it um, kind of like sets, it kind of like prepares people for the, the, the Tarantino turn and like his kind of contribution to cinema. Um, and I, and I think that it's, um, it's a good story that's propped up by a ton of amazing performances that really, that yeah. they do the heavy lifting. It's a killer cast. The cast is without a doubt, top notch. Gary Oldman, Christian Unreal. Slater in his, Christian Slater in his prime. And who is also, he's bounced back well in Mr. Robot. I mean, Christian Slater is a good actor to me. I know he got, he kind of went south and he got shit on for a while, broken arrow. And then things went way downhill from there by the time the two thousands rolled around, but he got there's tased at, at Paris Hilton's house or something. And things went down, <laughs> downhill. I hear oh. hasn't. Who the <laughs> hell hasn't been tased at Paris Hilton's house. That's a good point. But, I mean, uh, yeah, like, yeah. for me, it kind of, it, it, it has like the con affair of con air effect going for it. What I mean by that is like con air is clearly not a good movie, but, there's so many fun actors in it and like fun performances that once it's on, you can't shut it off. And true romance is clearly better, but it's got the same thing going on. You know, it's, you can't wait for that next scene to come because uh, of that great cast. Yeah. When I was younger, we really loved this movie. I remember, you know, we're all been friends for a long time. We've known each other forever. And there were friends. I like me and guy, I love this movie. We used to do the, um, the scene between Christopher Walken and Dennis Hopper in the trailer, which Very is a great scene. <laughs> it's yeah, that that's what I want to kind of get into is it's I think it's really good writing because it seems it seems honest, but it's clearly, you know, inappropriate. It's not right. well, holding up well. It's it's obviously taking offense to you know, they talk about black people and Italians in a very negative way. And I'm just wondering how, do do we have to view this as a a negative like a social commentary now or can can writing be authentic if someone believes that's how like a certain group of people would be talking because there are racist people out there and there are people who speak this way well i, I would argue that that yeah i mean I, I think that that's what's really happening there and i, and I know that like dennis hopper for instance i guess we're kind of we're kind of getting into that early but that's okay um i know that dennis hopper um that he felt good about about the performance for exactly the reasons that you said that he felt like it was just the way that people talked or some people talked it was the way this character talked um and you know and, and that's and that's that's authentic feeling on the other hand like this is a movie where a dude gets shot in the head and gets up and goes for a walk immediately afterwards how much realism do we actually have to have so i mean I, but I, that being said i do think it's a it's a it, it is amazing writing it's, it's a it is a pivotal scene like 
it's, it's, it is something else, but like, I think it's good that we have mixed, you know, I, I think it's good that it doesn't sit as well with us now as it did like in 1993 or two, sure. 19, 90, 92, I should say. No, no, it was, it was 93 or 92. It was 93. You had, 93. Your gut instinct was right. Yep. I mean, it's Tarantino, and it's that that scene is one. That's thing, what I'm getting to. Yeah, when, in the Tarantino I mean, when, universe, we all know how he is. He's become famous now for his use of the N word in all his scripts and stuff. How does that fit in? I mean, during the movie, you've got the cops referring to Italians as goombas. You've got Patricia Arquette's character saying that she straight up doesn't like Persians. So oh. there's a lot of racial epithets and and that sort of stuff in there, but. That's always been Tarantino's excuse. This is how people talk. And for the most part, these are kind of, a, for the major, uh, almost majority, kind of despicable characters. So mm. it, it, it forces you to feel one way or another about them. So I think that makes it more interesting, like it or not. So It's not a wholesome comedy. That's a great point. I mean, it's clearly, it's a raunchy, it's a violent film. It's a classic. I mean, it's not directed by Tarantino, but it's got that Tony Scott you know, the showdowns with the blood and the shooting. I mean, the spoiler alerts, by the way. I mean, if you were listening to this podcast and we have to say spoiler alert, you should assume there's going to be spoilers because we're talking about films. Right. But It's a 27-year-old movie. Spoiler exactly. <laughs> <laughs> alert on a 27-year-old film. Uh, but I, I think this is a – you guys think it's a good movie. You think it's an entertaining movie. I think it's a great film. I, I've always felt that way. I guess maybe it's nostalgic. Maybe I'm putting too much of myself into it, but I love this film. I think it's so entertaining. The dialogue is um, it's quick, fast-paced. Obviously, there's inappropriate comments, people who are scumbags in this movie, so that's part of the dialogue. Eric makes a good point that this is a movie chock full of scumbags. I mean, Gary Oldman's character is... <laughs> He's a huge scumbag, and so is Blue Lou Boyle, the alleged, you know, the infamous Blue Lou Boyle. All these people are pieces of shit. Well, I, I don't have a problem with that. I, I just think it's a fun movie, and I think it's a great movie. I do. Well, how should we go about talking about it? Should we talk about some of these characters? Should we talk about the plot linearly? Should we talk about how it was made? Like, what do you guys think? Well, we can do anything you like. If you have some comments, Travis, you can go any direction you want. But okay, it's well, I do have, I do have some 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 stuff I looked up just uh, at, a, at a glance that I thought might be of interest to, to folks. Um, for instance, this script uh, for True Romance comes from uh, another script written written by Robert uh, Roger Avery, who you may right. be familiar with as a uh, co-writer of Pulp Fiction. He wrote uh, Killing Zoe, and he wrote. Uh, uh, a couple other movies. Directed and, Rules of Attraction, uh, which is one of my Rules favorite. of Attraction. Yeah, he wrote and directed Rules of Attraction. That's what I was trying to look for, yeah. Um, so he wrote a script that was basically kind of an homage to Badlands and yeah. gave it to Tarantino when they were both working together at a video store, the famous video store that, that, that they worked at together, and told him like to make it better. And Tarantino like drastically reworked it. And uh, to the point that uh, Roger Avery didn't even really recognize it anymore. But when, when Tarantino reworked it, he also rewrote it where he wrote in, like, whereas uh, Clarence and Alabama are traveling across country, um, Clarence, who is clearly like a proxy for Tarantino, is writing his own screenplay. And that screenplay, is, like, he's reading bits from that to Alabama. And the movie like, that he wrote ended up being really long. But the movie that Clarence wrote is, is That's Your Born Killers. And that's like a fantasy of Clarence Worley's. And uh, I just thought that was really fascinating. And then at the end, at the end of the movie, to, to jump to that, Roger Avery was brought back uh, to do the rewrite at the end where uh, Clarence ends up surviving. Yeah, that bummed me out. I thought he should have died and that would have been fine. But that's classic, like, I almost feel like there's gotta be some studio interference. Or I know that he rewrote it, as you say, but I still feel like there's a studio hand in there saying, hey, let's have him live. Well, it was Tony Scott's call. It was Tony yeah. Scott's call, and he, uh, he very much um, – he claimed it wasn't a commercial thing, that he just was very much uh, wanted them to have, like, a happy ending, that he liked the characters and stuff. What about you, Eric? Well, um, it, it, if you've ever seen Badlands, it's a fucking amazing movie by Terry Malick in the 70s, Marty Sheen, Sissy Spacek. And this is pretty much – you could almost call it a loose adaptation of it because the score is extremely similar. There's opening narration that's extremely similar to Sissy Spacex in Badlands, and it's a cross-crunchy crime spree. So um, you add in some of the facets of Tarantino, and it kind of comes off as a loose remake. 
Um, yeah, I mean, $50,000 script, Tarantino's first sold to the studio. Uh, most, like, it's like the minimum amount of money you can give to a screenwriter from like the WGA. <laughs> um, but, you know, I'm so glad that they took a chance. And I think the real marvel of the script is the fact that having just read the original script yesterday in preparation for this episode, so little has changed from script to screen. And that is unheard of in right. uh, Hollywood. So that just goes to show you what a unique talent this is, you know, like it's yeah, not. Especially for Tarantino, like writing that on spec, like that's, right. that's pretty amazing. And then, and then Tony Scott told him like, I want to direct both of these movies. And he was like, you can, you can do one, you pick one. And he picked true romance. And like, uh -huh. so that's pretty ballsy. That's pretty ballsy too, right there. He could have just made his $100,000, but instead he took that 50000 and put that towards making uh, Reservoir Dogs. And the Reservoir Dogs come out like a year before True Romance. And so like, it, it, it does really well. And all of a sudden, that, that's partly why all these actors start coming out of the woodwork. Because that's just Tony Scott's friends is people that are, like are impressed by uh, Tarantino and want to like get involved. Well, there's a ton of actors in this movie that are, gonna break out i mean you got gandolfini kind of getting a little bit of a role in this he plays a, a important role in the film and gets solid lines you got brad pitt who's sitting on the couch he's gonna be brad pitt in a few years really right after this he's gonna break out with legends of the fall and so on there's so many great actors in this film that it's hard for me not to enjoy it and bronson pinchot kind of steals the movie oh, in my he steals it. <laughs> so funny right I mean, it's not, it's, it, he's hilarious, but also, like, he does a great job. That elevator scene where he really thinks his head is going to get blown off, that's, that's some of the – that's like, uh, that's like uh, John Turturro in, in Miller's Crossing, listen to your heart kind of moment. Oh, yeah. Like, it's, it's, like, uh, it's, a, it's, it's like really sincere groveling. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, it's, it's Tony Scott. And in my opinion, this is his best film. And he is a, like a – 80s cokehead testosterone fueled <laughs> mega maniacal like maniac right and everything he is he's known for is on display here in a really good way you know it's absurd <laughs> it's funny it's sweet it's offensive romantic it's dumb it's fun and and it all works unlike a lot of his other stuff that is just popcorn trash in my opinion so <laughs> popcorn trash well we love the phrase we should have called the podcast popcorn trash that's actually oh, that now that i realize that i do think um, that true romance is the best um tarantino script directed by someone other than tarantino i'll definitely think that what else would be the running is there anything else that um yeah Nat natural born killers and uh from dusk till dawn mm, right Oh, God. I saw that in the theater. God, that was so late. I thought that was going to be so much fun, and then it just went downhill pretty quick. But some people love Dust Till Dawn, so eh. what do I know? I used to. I don't know. It doesn't really hold up. Ah, oh, it doesn't hold up. We'll do that on the next episode, guys. Oh, boy. <laughs> um, yeah. So Bronson Pinchot is amazing in this film. In terms of some of the best performances and things that stand out, is there uh, one scene in particular that stands out to you guys? Uh, we'll start with Eric. Is there an area in terms of an actor performance or scene or anything specifically that you think is just the highlight of this film? Okay. Well, the one scene that stands out for me is with Alabama and James Gandolfini when he's just <laughs> annihilating her in that hotel room. That is a difficult scene for me to watch, like in a negative way. I think that should have been trimmed down so much and it gets to the point where it's just really gross, offensive exploitation, in my opinion. And we can get into the whole Tarantino violence against women thing, but <laughs> that is just a really hard scene for me. And I, I think it's pretty fucking gross. Uh, you know, even, even though, you know, she gets her redemption and all that, I think it just goes a little bit too far. It's difficult for me. I, I agree that it's a difficult scene. Um, it's not helped by the fact that, like, I learned, for instance, that during that she was having trouble um, with that with that scene and, and Tony Scott asked her if she wanted some help getting into the right headspace. And she said, yes. And he slapped her across the face. Um, what? That's not great. The persuader. The persuader. Yeah. yeah she asked persuader. for it a second time, apparently like voluntarily, but the first time it was just a surprise. So that, that's pretty weird. But I will say this about that scene um, because to be honest, it was going to be the scene that I was going to talk about too. Um, we have that scene, I think to thank for James Gandolfini's amazing career because that scene God was black. supposed to go, yeah, because that scene was supposed to go, had been cast uh, for Tom Sizemore. 
And Tom Sizemore was like, yeah, I'll do it, blah, blah, blah. And then, like, as he got closer to the actual thing, he was like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to throw this woman around. Like, I'm not comfortable with this. So, so he asked to be Cody instead. And Tarantino said, okay, well, now I got to find, you know, someone for this. And Sizemore knew Gandolfini personally from, like, a New York acting school or something. So this is, like, what puts uh, uh, Gandolfini in the scene. And I remember as a kid seeing this movie and, for one, feeling like, one, like I had seen Gandolfini before. Like, he seemed familiar to me, but he was not. I'd never seen him in anything else. But he just had, like, such a commanding presence. And for two, I remember also, and I still feel this way, like this movie is just an ocean of incredible actors in like the prime of their careers. And then this, this fucking guy just strolls in and steals the entire show. When he yeah. talks about how when he kills people, he just does it to see their uh, expression change. I believe him. And it's so good. Yeah. Yeah. Just, I mean, that and of course Drexel uh, would be my other choice. Yeah, I think uh, when when he goes into Drexel's lair and has the show down there and he doesn't really know what he's doing. And it's very obvious. He doesn't have a clue what he's doing, even to Drexel. I love that scene. <laughs> Gary Oldman transforms Gary Oldman. He won an Academy award for playing a chubby Winston Churchill in makeup, but I would, I would take this performance any day of the week. I'd say what you will about it. It's, it's certainly a, it's a guy who has no clue. It's appropriation because he thinks he's black and it's, but they're being very obvious about that. So it's not like a secret. Yeah. That's the role. He accepted the role rather quickly from what I've gathered on my limited research. He's like, oh, that sounds ridiculous. A guy who's a pimp and thinks he's black, a white guy, I'm do I'll do it. So he did it. And I love that scene. The Alabama and James Gandolfini scene is, I don't think, I can understand why you feel that way, Eric, but I think, you know, she, she comes through in the end. She really gets beat up and that happens. It's horrible. This, this is an extreme case of someone getting really beat up and his hair gets lit on fire with the hairspray, the classic movie <laughs> hairspray lighter ultra thing. violence. Yeah. It's very ultraviolet, but she comes out on top and obviously she's very beat up, but it just goes, it shows the sacrifice that her and Clarence Worley, they're willing to go through because they love each other so much. And it's very, 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 very over the top to show how much they love each other. But I, I always found the, some heart in that. And I know that may be the minority opinion, but that's how I feel. I see that point for sure. I just don't think the character grows from that experience. In fact, I think after that scene, the character basically drops out of the movie and has nothing to do for the next maybe hour or so. So that, wow. that's just my opinion. That, Ooh, that, that goes along with uh, that goes along with Clarence too. I think the movie gets taken away from them right around right around that scene, and it's just handed to the cops it's handed to uh Saul Rubinek it's handed to Bronson Pinchot oh, oh, no. we got it oh hang yeah on, we gotta talk on. about let's, Rubinek let's do one thing at a time fucking let, you yeah. killed. <laughs> I want I want to say something about directional real quick then let's get into Saul Rubinek if that's okay go ahead go ahead because because in, in my limited research also I learned some fun things about that which is that you know that's this was right around the same time that Oldman was doing Dracula and it was all his call to have the uh, dreadlocks and he contacted like the wig maker from Dr Dracula and had her make the, or him, I guess I shouldn't be presumptive there, I don't know who, what their gender was, but anyways, had them make the, uh, had them make the, the dreadlocks, so that was his call, and the, the blind eye that he wears was actually a, a, one of the eyes that he wore at one point in Dracula as well, and the, the kicker is that, that that whole sequence where he shot the testicles and whatnot, because, you know, can't have a Tarantino movie without somebody's dick getting blown off, um, for that whole <laughs> sequence, his mother was there. Like he did, he performed in front of his mother the whole time. <laughs> he was on set. <laughs> Whoa, that's a real actor right there, folks. <laughs> let's not uh, let's not leave out Michael Rappaport because he's so awesome in this too. I forgot how good he was in this. He's such a dick in real life now. Like in because that's who he is. Like he's this loudmouth dick in real life. But in that movie, you're right. He plays like it's such an innocent. Like oh boy, all oh, shucks. He really does. He's just trying to make his way in Hollywood with a really naive point of view. I think that's a good point. Uh, underrated. Supposedly but, his character, is, like, like Clarence, is supposed to be somewhat of a stand-in for Tarantino himself. Oh, that's meta, bro. Is that meta? What's meta? I mean, that's, just, that's what Tarantino has said in interviews <laughs> and stuff. I don't know how meta that is. <laughs> <laughs> Meta's a buzzword. I got to throw it in the podcast. Uh, so, yes, guys, Saul Rubinek's performance. I Saul. can't believe I was almost going to forget about it. I mean, you little cocksucker. <laughs> I love that. When he, 
when he finds so out funny. that Elliot has betrayed him. It's so funny. But uh, before that, he's just treated like a son. Yeah. He, Take your set card and burn it. It's so, yeah, right. He's just riffing <laughs> on the phone calls when he first talks to Claire, everything. He's just riffing and having a blast with the role. It's, and he Hilarious. is such, it's clearly like. Joel think, Silver slime. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I was just going to say Joel Silver. That's so funny. Because it's very, Joel Silver slime. Exactly. Supposedly Joel Silver to didn't, talk to, didn't talk to Tony Scott for a while after that. Yes. Was yeah, I, I read that too. <laughs> that is that has got to be true, man, because it's, it's very blatant. They're not trying to hide it. But that's what makes it so great because they're trying to be honest about what Hollywood is. And some of the violence may be fake, but the Saul Rubinek role seems legit. Is there any other comments besides his amazing lines and his really – Saul Rubinek's had a lovely career as a character actor, but this is hands down my favorite Saul Rubinek role. And I've been searching for something to meet it ever since. I would say that he definitely um, steals the show, kind of like Gandolfini does. Again, like there's, I mean, like, yeah, especially from uh, um, once, I, I will say once Alabama's beat up um, and, then you, and then you have uh, Christian Slater's kind of not doing as much, as much work. Yeah, he does kind of steal the show towards the end of the movie, Rubinek does, and he has like the most quotable lines. And again, like he just kind of comes in and owns this movie and he's just like, you know, between Walken and all these other amazing actors and here's fucking Saul Rubinek is like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be like one of the most memorable people in this movie. Eric? Yeah, I mean, look at the standoff at the end, you know, Mexican standoff or whatever you want to call it. It's mobsters, okay? It's, uh, and, it, and, and it's uh, the cops and it's these filmmakers and they're all armed, <laughs> ready to go. It just shows you, like, it's clearly, like, a fantastical film, right? I mean, exactly. this is sort of the world we live in, but it's just so funny how they equate these fucking slimeball movie producers to, you know, these gangsters and, and, these, and, and, the, and the like. It's just so yeah. funny. Yeah, again, I think that's Tarantino's, like, because, I mean, because, like, you know, he, like, Clarence Worley works at a comic book store, kind of like Tarantino worked in a movie store. And, like, he's got, you know, he's, he's loveless and, and nerdy, but wants to be heroic and cool. And he's trying to get his foot in the door in the Hollywood scene. So, like, all of this kind of, like, uh, it's just very autobiographical, I think. Uh, I would no be interested that. to see, like, a female perspective on this, because the Alabama character you can easily dismiss is this ornamental uh um, vestigial character, but you know, I think she does a lot for it, and it, I think it makes the ending a little bit more sweet that she gets to have you know a family at the end. But it would be interesting to see you know that original ending when she she's got to grow from her own experiences as this this decorative thing, and then you know go into her own. So would be interested in some other perspectives on that character as well. Well, she definitely brings her A game. This is one of my favorite performances of Patricia Arquette's. Uh, next to, I love her in uh, Flirting with Disaster. That's like a personal favorite of mine. But um, she is naive, just like Clarence and just like Rappaport's character. They're all, I mean, she was desperate to just get away from her life in Alabama. Who knows? We don't know the whole backstory, but she's such an innocent creature who is a loving creature. And she gives that vibe so well. And She's willing to do anything to keep that love. And I love that about her character. And you know, none of us are female. We're all guys with cocks. So we Thank can't speak to uh, Yeah, I just want to get that clear, just in case anybody didn't know. But I, I think uh, it's one of the better performances of a really heavy cast of great performances. I, I think she's great, too. And I think it's, it, I mean, it's definitely like a breakout performance for her. Uh, and also, I think Alabama's from Florida. She says, I'm not what they call Florida trash. Or oh, Florida that's right. trash. Shit. She's probably Alabama on the Florida, Florida, Florida oh, yeah, Alabama the line down there in the panhandle. Yeah. <laughs> you guys watch that show on MTV called Florabama? Nope. Oh, okay, me neither. I just killed the show. Look at me. Yep, so. All right. <laughs> okay, so bottom line, True Romance. True Romance is a great film, in my opinion. The other guys think it's fun, entertaining, a good film. Uh, tremendous performances. Is there anything we're leaving out? Eric, I'll start with you. Is there anything we've left out with this incredible movie in my opinion. I think it absolutely holds up uh structurally a little bit sloppy but it gets away with it just because it's so fun to watch um it's 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 a film about you know movies it's a fantasy okay it's written obviously through the lens of Quentin Tarantino's own fantasies living in LA and I think the Clarence character you know takes us through this odyssey of Hollywood misfits and quote-unquote gangsters that aren't you know they don't act like real people they act like these facsimiles from movies okay so 
if you take it on its own merit and just have fun with it, I think it's absolutely worth another watch. Travis? Well, uh, I, I would agree. I think it holds up really well. I don't know that, it, like, it doesn't resonate with me quite the same way as it did 30 years ago, but that's probably a good thing. Um, <laughs> uh, I do think it's a, a really solid film with just um, uh, standout performances. I think it's a lot of fun. I think it's got one of the weirder kind of scores, Hans Zimmer, like, weirdly upbeat score that's totally inappropriate to the last, like, 30 seconds of the movie. Uh, is fun. I, I, I like that it's set in Michigan and Dennis Hopper says uh, to go to the party store at one point. That's yes. that makes me happy. Yeah, um, yeah. And my one big complaint is that if I'm ever in a bathroom and 50 million guns <laughs> are going off right outside of me, I'm not going to just pop my head out for a quick look. That's, <laughs> That's a good point. Uh, Val Kilmer is not Val even Kilmer. mentioned by us, plays Elvis in the bathroom with Clarence Mentor. every time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That reminds me of another point I was going to make that um, you'll notice that movie that the movie is really lacking in Elvis songs. The only Elvis song that makes it into the entire movie is uh, is Val Kilmer singing Heartbreak Hotel because that's one of the few songs that uh, Elvis doesn't, the estate doesn't strictly have the rights to. So mm. uh, mm-hmm. yeah, that's kind of weird. They get away with it though. They throw a big bopper in there instead and that kind of stuff. You don't even notice. Eric, you're the resident Elvis expert on this show. Uh, any commentary on the Val Kilmer performance? or the uh, inclusion of Elvis in the, in the movie? I applaud Val Kilmer for not fighting with Tony Scott, who we worked with on Top Gun, to say, I'm a fucking big deal. I was already Jim Morrison in The Doors, mm. okay? I'm a name actor, and yet I'll, I'll be out of focus. I'll play this mentor role. I'll come in for two days, you know? Uh, so that's classic Kilmer, in my opinion. I love it. It was uncredited, too, wasn't it? Or no? Can't no, he's in the credits, I believe. Yeah, he he's oh, as in, in the opening. That's right, yeah. As Val Kilmer, but... You never, you're like, wait, where's Val Kilmer in this movie? But then you realize <laughs> he plays a great Elvis, a simple, out of focus Elvis. And I kind thought that was a, Elvis. Yeah, understated, unfocused. Any other uns? <laughs> <laughs> um, no. <laughs> so the bottom line is we generally think this holds up. There's a few critiques. We've made our points, but there's no doubt that it holds up as an entertaining film. Do we agree with that? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, in the early 90s, yes, it is Quentin Tarantino. But think of the slew of films just like this that came out. You know, Killing Zoe, uh, Eight Heads in a Duffel Bag, uh, (laughs) Two Days in the Valley. Remember all that shit? This is the the only one, in my opinion, that that still absolutely holds up unironically. (laughs) I completely agree with you. It's definitely Tony Scott's best movie, in my opinion. Uh, The Fan is good, but... We don't need to go there. Did he um, do Enemy of the State? That's pretty good. Yeah, which is, yeah, the, is yeah good. but it's the exact same ending. The damn shootout is that's what pisses me oh, off about Enemy no, of the State. Yeah, it really is the exact same ending. Even with Tom Sizemore. Right. You know, it would have been the it would have been the same movie if Tom Sizemore was originally in it, like you said. I forgot about that. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's pretty bad. But yeah, I, I love this movie. I watch it often. Like, even though I was glad that we brought it up because I've always locked in on this film. I, I watch it a couple times a year. So I'm glad that it still holds up and I hopefully think that it will hold up for another 20 30 years but we would love to get your feedback so please hit us up at cinema nine pod that's the number nine that's on twitter that's on facebook uh, what's the facebook eric is it cinema nine podcast or uh it's cinema nine pod you know fb colon black back back you know oh, we'll put it in the show notes here we get, uh, get a host yeah we'll, we'll put it in the show notes you're right uh yeah so hit us but hit us up with emails if you have any comments on this wonderful film this Controversial, but yet highly entertaining film, True Romance. Cinema 9 pod at protonmail.com. So, guys, as we wrap up the show here, we wanted to take a moment to share some quarantine films. Some films that can help you get through these tough times. Most of us are locked down, unless you're an essential employee fighting the good fight out there, which we all appreciate, and uh, we wish you all good health. Let's talk about a film or two. Yes, yes. We hope you have money to survive on. Uh, we want to talk about a film or two that is going to get you through this quarantine. Uh, Travis, can we start with you? Do you have something for us? I, I do have something loaded up, but I kind of laughed when you said that because, like, I don't know if this is going to help you get through the quarantine. Like, I don't know if it's going to, like, help you in the, get in the right headspace or anything. Um, oh, no, but, no, uh, no. Yeah. <laughs> Just have entertaining, <laughs> anything watched, enjoyable. Yeah, the movie I watched most recently that uh, that I thought was pretty fantastic was, uh, and I was actually texting Eric during this, so this won't surprise him. I watched uh, Color Out of Space yesterday. 
And, you know, I'm a big Nick Cage fan. Uh, I love Mandy. And to see, uh, and, if, and if you're a fan of Mandy, this is uh, along the same kind of lines, only a lot more restrained. And it's just, it's just a really, uh, it's just like, <laughs> it, it actually scared me. Like, it's a movie that actually, like, it's pretty rare. I get scared and, like, kind of freaked out by movies. But I got pretty freaked out by this movie. Um, Nick Cage gets to go full Nick Cage. And it's, and, it, and it's not in a way that doesn't make sense. It's totally, like, it works in the film in a really good way. And uh, it's just, it's just probably the best H.P. Lovecraft adaptation I think I've seen. So I would, I would definitely recommend that. Wow. Color Out of Space. I've definitely not seen that. I will put it on my list and check that out. I, I don't love Nick Cage like you do, but uh, I will definitely give it a shot because I want to have fun. I want to be scared during my quarantine. I want to feel uncomfortable. Increase your anxiety during quarantine. Why not? <laughs> Eric, what about you? Any uh, quarantine suggestions to entertain us? Yeah, we've been watching a lot of old movies. Uh, you know, cozy old movies from back in the day. I got two I very, very highly recommend. Um, Marnie is probably one of Hitchcock's most underrated films. 1963, he did it right after The Birds uh, with Tippi Hedren. Don't read too much into the behind the scenes on this one because you'll find out what a sick asshole both uh, Sean Connery and Alfred Hitchcock were. Mm, yeah. But uh, in terms of the film itself, this is uh, this is really underrated. It's a uh, hip it's engaging it's understated it's offensive um but it's a really lurid interesting character study with a great performance by tippy hedron who i also think is a really underrated actress um that's marnie when it comes to underrated actresses my other pick is the misfits this is a john houston film from 1961 that is i just I, every time i watch it it gets better and better it's about these cowboys in nevada and this this uh, beautiful divorcee that comes into town and meets up with them. There's no real plot. They just kind of hang out. And um, Marilyn Monroe, this is, a, this is an actress I don't think gets enough credit for her abilities. When you think of her, you think of the pinups and the, the dress under the, 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 the subway grate. She was a really, <laughs> really interesting and good actress, in my opinion. Films like this and Niagara and River of No Return and No Bother to Knock. So I encourage you to... Uh, step aside from the facsimile of this this actress and check out some of her her actual work because it's impressive and the misfits is one of the best wow marilyn monroe right. can act i hmm, have to think about that for a while i don't think she's not talented at all i just i have not seen any of those films and really i've not seen maybe more than uh the seven-year itch i saw once i've not seen much of her films at all so i need she to gets be... a bad rap for being in these silly like really bubbly studio films that are just fluff, but some like a hot dramatic, yeah, stuff like that. I That's a good movie, though. That, but she gets a bad rap because of those studio fluff. But she's done some dramatic turns that are, you know, worth checking out for sure. Who's giving her a bad rap now? Like, just are people trash talking Marilyn Monroe? And I don't think that, I think they dismiss her as a pretty face. But I thought she okay. was a, actually a really talented actress, like Tom Cruise. <laughs> She's a real Tom Cruise. Oh, oh my God! I watched Magnolia the other night. God, he should have won the Academy Award oh, for that. It's it's on my list. I'm watching it soon. I he thought we were gonna, Yeah, I suggested that for a. Has, does it hold up? Uh, oh, okay. I would love to do it next week. That would be a good episode. Let's okay, do it next. Time. Yeah, yeah. That's a, it'll be a long one then because that's a long movie, but it's great. Uh, okay, uh, for me, uh, this is going to be for the lightheartedness. Just a you know. Have something to help you get through a little popcorn. I watched the that thing you do recently, and I really enjoyed it. It just kind of, <laughs> kind of flows along. It's about you know bubblegum pop of the '60s, and Tom Hanks does a nice understated job. It's nothing crazy. It's just very simple. It's got solid music in it. It's all original music, but it's basically ripping off that music of the '60s, like the Supremes and things like that. What Motown did and what the Beatles did and all that stuff. I enjoyed it thoroughly. I, I, it's just simple, fun, lighthearted entertainment. And that, that song will get in your head and it will drive you crazy. I think he purposely did that because they play that song, that movie, at least 10 times. Oh, the like, Wonders. Yeah, the Oneaters. Yeah, right. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's Tom Everett Scott and company just screwing around. Ethan Embry just having a laugh. And it, I'm, so like glad it. You, I'm so glad you brought that up because the, the composer who wrote that song just passed away, I think, a few days ago. 
exactly. He did, a, he did something else that was popular. Like, it slips my mind, but yeah. rest in peace. Yeah. Adam Schlesinger was his name. Uh, Thank he was, you. He was in Fountains of Wayne. He, Fountains he was of Wayne. most known for the Stacey's yeah, Mom song, which is uh, that song from 03, which is, yeah. I think it's a satire song. But yeah, he did a lot of, um, besides that, he was working behind the scenes of commercial work and other films that I can't think of off the top of my head. But that's the reason I watched the film, Eric. So oh, I'm glad oh, you brought that up. Well, rest in peace. I've never seen that yeah. movie, though. Never saw it? Never seen it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, I might. I don't, I guess maybe, uh, maybe we should have thought about movies that are available on streaming, so it'd be more accessible. But I think a lot of people are renting movies right now anyway, so I, I, I stand behind it. All right. Okay, well, I think, uh, I think we've covered the basis here, gentlemen. This has been the intro episode of Cinema Nine yeah. Podcast. That's yeah, right. We did it. We did it. Woo. We got Eric Bransham and Travis Roy. Look how happy they are. They can't see us. <laughs> there is video. Who knows? Yeah, you may never see us. Yeah. <laughs> Audio, of course. Uh, any final comments before we go? Travis Roy. Um, nothing. Stay safe. Stay at home. Eric? Stay home and uh, send us an email. We'd love to hear from you as we keep this going. Beautiful. That's a great way to go on on top. I agree. We're Cinema 9 Pod at ProtonMail.com. Cinema 9 Pod with the number nine. I'm Michael Gauvier. These are my friends. We love you. Stay safe. We'll talk to you soon. Bye.